2: You are listening to Missed Apex Tech Time. We live at one. Welcome to Mist Apex Podcast, powered by SpannersReady.com, bringing you motorsport podcast news and blogs. Thanks for joining me in the podcasting shed. I'm your Tech Time host, Matt Trumpets. Joining me tonight, fresh from producing YouTube videos about dolls, it's Spanners Ready!
3: You made it sound like darts commentary there, Matt. Thank you very much. Yes, I have been making doll videos. My little daughter's addicted to the YouTube videos where they have the little dolls and they act scenes out. And, uh, and she said she wanted to do that as well, so I did it properly. I've made, I have made the living room into a TV studio, and I'm ready to be a, a star of playing with dolls on YouTube.
2: Hey, that sounds like a good career move. I just read an article about some, some kid who's getting like 400 gazillion views, unwrapping toys for all of his little friends on YouTube, yeah, so it's, you never know.
3: It's that kind of video, except, you know, I sat there and tried to subvert it a little bit, throw in my political <laughs> opinions, and uh, see how that washes out. Uh, But, you know, anything to support her. Matt, there's been so much F1 stuff this week that I think I might have just overloaded and switched off. As far as I can tell, Lance Stroll is buying F1 and David Coulthard is making a comeback in a Ligier. That's as far as I can handle.
2: Well, I thought the only news was that, like, you went karting and stuff.
3: (laughs) Ah, we'll get to that later. Yes, thank you for letting me have five minutes of tech time. Hey, Matt, you know, there's a bit of pressure on because... Have you seen the numbers lately? People are actually listening to this now.
2: No, 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 no. Never tell me that. Never tell. It's like telling him, <laughs> telling people the critic is in the audience. The last thing I want to know is how many people are listening to me at any given moment.
3: Or, or making a kid realize that you're watching them dance and then they suddenly stop and cry and stuff <laughs> like that. But um, look, I'll admit I didn't do my homework. You gave me loads of stuff to read. The first dossier you gave me was about the sale to Liberty, and it was 26 pages. And I was just like, it's going to take a long time. And I I just didn't read it, so I thought I'd fess up straight away.
2: You know who you sound like? My kid. (laughs) My 11-year-old daughter. (laughs) So much stuff. (laughs) It's going to take
3: a long time. Go on, you roll on, Matt. You roll on.
2: All right, then. So for those just finding us, we are an independent podcast hosted on SpannersReady.com where yeah. you'll find many, many things. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday commute. The show is safe for work. We are keeping it clean here so you can play this with the kids in the background or in the car and at work. So that's the housekeeping out of the way. Shall we bring some guests on? Oh, please. Then I can basically go on mute and switch off yeah until we get to karting all right so how's about we bring on the assistant technical editor at motorsport.com an all-round knowledgeable chap summers f1 hi guys how you doing all right how are you doing this has been a bit of a busy week for you all of a sudden it's
0: always a busy week for me to be perfectly honest but yeah this has been particularly busy
3: (laughs) Hey, do you know what? If you're gonna swan around with 15,000 Twitter followers, which you just got this week, congratulations, uh, you can, you can be busy and earn it. Yeah, I suppose so. Didn't you say that when you got to 15,000 followers, you'd post some racy photos?
0: No, that was you, Spanners. Right. I said I was going to give something away. You a- suggested that it should be a
3: photo. Oh, I said racing photo, racing photos. Oh, well, interesting <laughs> that your mind went there. Come on, Matt. Get, get someone cleaner in here. I have to beat that. Well,
2: uh, absolutely. How about we bring on everyone's fan favorite Vortex Motio. Housewife favorite Vortex Motio. And housewife. <laughs> See, I was going to say like Trumpet's only purtier. But okay, good enough. How's it going Vortex?
4: Well, it's going pretty good. I uh just got to say, yesterday I felt a little bit like some finished driver because I was driving around with my wife in the car on the gravel roads in the mountains of Idaho, checking out future camping spots or whatnot. But floating along on these gravel roads, and the wife doesn't like it when I go fast, so I was going just <laughs> fast enough where the car was floating a little bit and yet smooth enough. She didn't know it. It was good fun.
2: Uh, it sounds like fun. You know, it's funny, my wife doesn't like it when I go fast either. Our trips to the mountains are always <laughs> fraught.
4: <laughs> yeah, a lot of white knuckles. I know all about that.
2: Okay, well, what do you say we bring one more person on to make the show complete? The one, the only, Anil Parmar, <laughs> whom we have tracked down to his undisclosed location full of Nutella jars.
5: How did you know that's what I was working Matt?
2: Just call it a hunch, man. I've known you a long time.
5: <laughs> oh no, no, it's great to be back. Well, there's nothing better than talking about F1 with you guys. Um, and my undisclosed location for those listening was Formula E. I've just finished working there. Uh,
3: great time, but now I want to talk about Formula One. Yeah, I was going to say, are you allowed to say what you you do for a living, or was it going to be an awkward mystery? But yeah, on, only good memories from uh, from you know being at the forefront of a new motorsport. Yeah, it was absolutely
5: amazing. You know, when you get to go to all these races on the streets of Paris and you see people hanging out their balconies to watch the first ever French E-Prix, it's a pretty spectacular.
3: Yeah, and I'm I'm probably not going to talk to you for the rest of the show now that I know that you've lost control of the Formula E social media without following the Spanners Ready account. Absolutely devastated. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't claim you forgot, right?
2: You had one job.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, in hindsight,
3: in hindsight, that was the
5: only reason I actually took the job. <laughs>
2: oh god crash burn all right well what do you say we roll on to a little bit of news all right then well in the driver market there seems to be a little bit of a coming together for a certain lance stroll to be at williams next year anyone hear anything more about that
5: well i've seen it mentioned a few times uh and today in Speed Week, um, you have suggested that they're basically just waiting for him to get enough super license points and that he'll be sitting alongside Bottas next year. And actually, the move makes sense because his dad's a billionaire. Williams need the money. And actually, he's a really good driver.
2: Well, then that, that'll come together pretty well for them. Any idea anybody as to why he left Ferrari's Embrace? Well,
4: I, let me just jump in. I I have an idea, but it's pretty much speculation, and that is Do that it. Ferrari... That's
3: just, okay. We encourage it at this part of the show. Wild speculation. <laughs> wild.
4: <laughs> well, Ferrari historically seems to have, in the last few years, older, more established drivers, and so I I don't really see... I think the strolls must have realized that that was not going to be a pathway for him even with a billion dollars in the in the bank account and so what what's really intriguing i think with stroll if he goes to williams straight into a race seat out of formula three is that some people would argue that that's not really a smart way to go that um spending a season uh in his case he could have easily done gp2 because he had the bucks and that's what you need in GP2 or GP3 would have made him a better driver to handle the pressure of Formula One. Formula Three to Formula One, there's another young guy whose name slips my mind at the moment who tried that and it's taken him a season to adjust. And some people say he's still adjusting. So it's a bit of a gamble. Hey,
3: he means Verstappen. No, I figured it out. So it didn't. It didn't really slip his mind. That that was all a bit of a bluff. That. Cut if only down. we had
4: like a super
3: cool article
4: on the website about <laughs> Verstappen.
3: Oh, we've had to cut that for time. But uh, on to Stroll, Matt. He. All I really know from about him is some comments he's made in the press, and he seems like a young man totally unaware of his position of privilege and has has kind of, you know, come out at other people saying, oh, you're just jealous at not appreciating my amazing talent. You know, it's that sort of cliche of I would have made it anyway. I just happen to have a billionaire dad. So really looking forward to having him in F1.
2: Yeah, and and we all certainly know that having a billionaire dad really has no influence at all on your ability to do anything. I mean, you were either born with that talent or you weren't. Oh,
3: hang on. Hashtag
2: close sarcasm.
3: Yeah, it does give you the ability to sort of hire out a hit, doesn't it? So I'm going to edit that. Lance Stroll seems like a talented individual ready to rock F1.
2: But you know who did have a comment? Well, Anil, what do you have?
3: I don't know if you guys have mentioned it on a
5: previous podcast, but apparently... Apparently, Lance Stroll, is, um, he's spent this year driving the 2014 Williams, as he's allowed to do because it's two years old, yeah. around 10 different Formula 1 racetracks around the world, including <laughs> Barcelona and Abu Dhabi. <laughs> so he's taken we... the old car. He's, um He's got his own staff and mechanics just to get used to an F1 car. Of course, next year, it'll be much harder for him because the cars will be much faster. So whereas Verstappen and Bottas made big jumps from, say, Formula 3 to Formula 1, Um, The cars that Stroll will jump into you are going to be significantly more challenging. But, you know, it's interesting that he has done that. He's taken a 2014 Williams F1 car and he's been conducting private
3: tests uh, around the world. That's what money gets you then, isn't it, Matt?
2: And let's face it, if you grew up in a middle class suburban household, you could certainly afford (laughs) to rent the two-year-old Williams and take it to 10 different circuits with your own mechanics and drive it around. I don't see any lack of a level playing field.
3: <laughs> I was going to say my son's been desperate for one for a scooter and I've been going, "Oh, I've been putting it off, I've been putting it off because the car died." And then and then we found one had been abandoned for a few months, so I made him have this like rusty old one. I said, "Look, just ride around on that for a bit until we get you a scooter." Uh but the next thing I'll get him for his next birthday is a 2014 Williams.
2: Well, to see there you go. Then I tell you the only real thing I know about him is what our friend Will Buxton had to say, which is if you thought Verstappen was arrogant, Wait till you meet Lance. Wow. So I don't know, Summers, are you looking forward to this?
0: Well, you've got to look forward to these young drivers coming in and trying to teach the old boys what, what's going on, haven't you, really?
2: <laughs> uh, how, many, how many shows are we going to have next year about the rules of the road, you suppose?
0: I would imagine every show is going to focus on it.
2: <laughs> Indeed.
0: I look, I look forward to Kimmy
5: ultimately clashing
3: with him.
2: <laughs> Even Vettel, that might be
3: better. That's what they talk about in Formula 3, isn't it? Hey, in what ways are you going to annoy Kimmy when you get to Formula 1? Oh, I, I was just going to pure cut across him. Uh, I'm going to nick his boots.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I only had one other brief bit of news, which is that Corrado Lanzone, who was Ferrari's head of production, went bye-bye this week, a victim of Sergio Marchionne's infamous house-cleaning tactics. I think we're going to talk about that a little later on in the show, but suffice it to say that Ferrari is in the midst of yet another reorganization that will bring them a title or so they say, eventually after some period of time, you can move on with the brought to you by now spanners.
3: All right, mate. Uh, should I give it some, uh, why don't you say tech time and I'll do some music
2: tech time brought to you by you. At Patreon. We get enough in donations now to cover hosting fees, but given the momentum the show has now, I really want to do stuff that only cold, hard cash can buy in terms of adding producers and pushing missed Apex around the internet, as well as the constant drip feeding of maintaining equipment and a live stream. So please support us. Every donation makes a massive difference. Many, many thanks to Felix and Kara this week who joined our growing list of patrons. Guys, and girls if you want anything mentioned on the show just let me know and i'll do it
3: yeah so i was thinking about patreon rewards matt that's what a lot of other shows do so if anyone wants to give us any ideas of things i'm going to get some hats and mugs made up anyway for the cast and crew uh maybe something along those lines but if anyone's got any ideas just email me spannersready at gmail.com and 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 think of think of what would entice you to become a patron
2: how about personalized voicemail from spanners ready (laughs)
3: <laughs> wow. I, yes, I choose to be arrogant enough to believe that anyone would want that. But absolutely. <laughs> yeah, sure. I will. I will send you that if that's if that's what you want. Um, in fact, that that's a very easy thing for me to do. So sure, if you want something personalized from me or Matt, do let us know. Let, go on with your F1 stuff, Matthew.
2: All right. So it turns out a few things did happen this week. Uh, in particular, a thing got sold. That thing potentially being... Formula One itself is a business enterprise. Now, um, it, this is coming to us in a two-part transaction, the first of which just concluded with the transfer of about $745 million and some various equity and uh, stocks and stuff like that. And we'll conclude ideally by Q1 of 2017. Now, you looked it up, didn't you, Ken? When exactly is that going to be the latest?
4: Uh, so there are... Uh, fiscal calendar corresponds to the uh, actual calendar. So that should be at the end of March of this coming year, 2017.
2: Oh, uh, well, that'll then, then so I know that one of the things that has come up is we've heard a lot of talk about, we've had a lot of talk about regulatory and other issues. And so is that a timeline for them to be able to get through it all? What do you think, Anil?
5: Sorry, I'm playing around my internet. ha. Huh.
2: Uh, don't do that. You'll grow hair on your palms.
3: Well,
2: there's I,
4: Spanner's first edit right 1625
2: there. 1625.
4: I'll just jump in and I'll say, I, I what I'm seeing is that this is a rather rapid fire um, transaction that um, the end of March, that's, what is that? We're coming upon that. That's just six months away. Um, so they have the cash lined up and I think they're anticipating well uh, that it's going to be easy to get through whatever regulatory hurdles. Um, and so I I don't see that mentioned as part of any official uh, notification from Liberty Media or from um, F1 themselves. So I I'm, don't anticipate that there'll be any type of regulatory problems with this transaction. I think they're going to go ahead, move through it, and make it a done deal, and then if there's any regulatory issues, they'll fix them after the fact.
2: Yeah, well, I think they have to get approval. I know there has to be a shareholder vote at Liberty, and you know the real, the real issue is liable to be the fact that Liberty also own a stake in Formula E, and we know that when CVC bought Formula One, or bought controlling shares in Formula One, they had to divest themselves of MotoGP, and we're not sure what the European Union is going to say about that. But there's also the ongoing investigation, the cartel investigation brought by Force India and Sauber that will need to be dealt with. But from my point of view, at least, and this is as someone who absolutely knows nothing whatsoever, seems like to me, new owners is a very easy way to get around it, as well as the 1% stake the FIA currently have, because that will be disposed of in the transaction as far as I understand it.
4: Yeah, that that I can't speak to myself. I, I haven't done any research on that 1% transaction, but um I think <clears throat> what I thought was most interesting actually was the um uh, FIA statement on that that they're looking forward uh to working with the new owners, Liberty Media, and it seemed a rather veiled looking forward as in we are the regulatory body and we will have a major say on The movement forward of Formula One. So I'm really curious to see how that plays out. But I think overall, everybody's pretty pleased with this, with what the new owners will bring, uh, their different attitude.
2: Right. Summers, do you have any perspective on this? I mean, you work with the FIA, you go to the tracks. What do you have to say about it? Well, I
0: think the the biggest thing that we'll see is it's a change of media landscape. You know, you're dealing with a a media giant as such that is going to be heavily involved in shaping the way in which we watch the sport and how the fans interact with the sport. Something that everybody has been particularly critical of the current establishment. And so that's probably the biggest thing that is going to come out of um, initially. Obviously, the future of the sport will change as uh, the new owners tend to mould the sport themselves. But I think the, the biggest thing is that the way that people watch the sport is going to is going to be changed.
2: Right. And, and Neil, do you have any thoughts about this? I mean, this is this is potentially everything we've ever wanted. We have an American company coming in. We have the potential finally to fully utilize social media, something you might know a little bit about.
5: Well, first of all, I'm delighted that CVC are gone. Um, I know a lot. I know a lot of people like to criticize Bernie Atkinson, but actually he actually did a superb job. Uh, and it was only when CBC really came in that I think a lot of people became a bit disgruntled with the way Formula One was going. Now, Liberty actually have a big stake in Formula E. Um, and a lot of people have noticed that Formula E has really tried to open up the series uh, to as many people across the world, including YouTube streaming and things like that. Formula One needs to get at the times. It's so far behind what other series are doing. And I'm looking forward to seeing what what we'll see Formula One look like in the future. It will be very different to what it is now. It won't be a case of having to pay to watch a race. Um, maybe we'll be able to watch races and have full highlights on, on YouTube or through a dedicated Formula One app. But, you know, that type of stuff is great because there's so much exciting content in, in the world of Formula One and it's just so hard to access it.
2: Right. There is a lot of exciting content. And one of the problems I know fans have had a lot of trouble with is posting their own videos to to the internet when they're actually at an event, share it with their friends. Do you think, that, how did that work in Formula E? Were fans able to post videos? Like if you were in the stands and, and did a short video, could you post it? Or would you get a DMCA notice and be asked to take it down?
3: Well, I can answer that because I got, I don't know if I got preferential treatment, but we were right there at the track when uh, Degrassi accidentally slash, maybe not, uh crashed into Buemi on the first lap of Battersea. And uh, we put that up straight away and the FIA social media, you know, hook latched onto those things and retweeted them. They seemed very happy to have a bit of crowdsourcing for, for their race day media.
2: Hashtag, sorry, not sorry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. can, you had something? <laughs> no, I was well, I mean, uh,
4: sorry. I didn't mean to step on you, but I was just going to say that that is um, such a, a wonderful thing to hear about um, spanners of like how different, um, Formula E is in regards to uh, social media and um, super jazzed actually that we have Anil on actually because he um, is a little bit more familiar with that. But um, that's the kind of thing that that I think we're all hoping to start seeing more of from Formula One.
2: Okay, so Anil, suddenly you're social media director of Formula One. What do you tell Liberty to do to make it better? Follow Spanners Ready.
3: First, get I do think one of the first things we okay oh
5: okay sorry let me start again two things first of all I'm sure that in some way we will be able to pay to watch the odd race um, and not just watch the race but get exclusive onboard cameras so instead of watching the race on television if you want to say right. Um, I'm Spanners and I love Lewis Hamilton. He's signing at the back of the grid. I want to watch the start live from onboard with Lewis. I'm sure that will be an option. Um, and actually that will really get the fans interested. They can make money off it, but also it's a great service for the fans. Wow. Secondly, that track side experience can be much better in Formula 1. And actually the Americans do it incredibly well already. Just to give an example, if you went to the Formula 1 a few years ago, you would have been able to get something called Fan Vision. Yes. And Fan Vision was incredible. Fanvision was yeah. incredible. You picked four drivers and you could watch the onboard footage from them at any point. You had all the sector times and it was live. And it's, it's, it disappeared like three or four years ago. Didn't
3: they have it at Silverstone one year? I, I'm sure. They had it
5: every year up until 2012. Oh, right. Like, yeah, and I went 2013 and was I was looking for it.
3: Yeah,
5: yeah no, exactly. So they, they need to bring something like that back.
0: Yeah, it was down to money. Bernie couldn't negotiate a new contract with. It was a kangaroo TV. Um, they, they were the suppliers of it and apparently uh, they just failed in their negotiations with Bernie and that's the reason why it disappeared and yeah I, I've used it and it was a fantastic thing um, and I believe it's obviously out there in other sports as well but yeah they, they, it's such a shame that that disappeared it was a fantastic piece of
5: kit.
2: Yeah well I, do, just what, gonna... I do want go ahead.
5: I do want to say that the actual social channels for Formula One have really improved over the the last 12 months. Lots of video content, lots of um, lots of really good exclusive content, Uh, but it it needs to go a lot further. YouTube can do wonders for Formula One. There's no reason why every race, every practice session cannot be on YouTube or at least on their app.
2: I was going to go further. And say that if you've not paid money for the WEC app to watch Le Mans and any of the other WEC races you want to follow, that to me is the gold standard right now for apps for motorsports. It's just astonishing. I can watch any race, I can rewatch it till the next race, highlight packages. They catch you up if you tune in late. It's fantastic. I would love to see Formula One offer something like that having having cut the cord as it were i would happily pay money for a year-round subscription to that uh in the sky formula one channel we're all talking about but where i dis, where i think you're right formula one has done better Neil, what to me is missing is the ability of the fans to engage in putting videos up on youtube because i think that's where you get new converts to the sport right now it's centralized with formula one they put up their own videos but if you put up a video saying formula one it gets taken down they need to figure out how to let the fans participate with them in spreading the content
5: yeah i I agree with that completely there was a really good example actually um i know spanners mentioned the formula e Degrassi bohemi incident in london uh that weekend i think it was hamilton rosberg crashed in austria on the last lap and about four days later, a fan uploaded a video onto YouTube saying, this is what it looked like from our point of view. That's the type of content that needs to be, that Formula 1 needs to be trying to be sharing on race day because it's brilliant. And you can you, know, you hear the fans reacting. We need to be seeing that straight away and not waiting three or four days to find it randomly on the internet.
4: Spanish.
3: Yeah, just, uh, just forgot to mention really that there's some people in the chat room that are saying hi to you, Matt. They're saying Carby is saying evening all. Uh, MG was asking if Vortex has a Scandinavian ancestry, yes or no?
2: No,
4: no, oh. I wish. I don't think so.
3: You're, you're all Viking. You could have said yes, we'd have got away with that. Uh, people are saying that Trumpets is older than dinosaurs. Uh, and just want to remind people how to get into the chat room. Go to spannersready.com, go to the menu and click live stream on there. If you're on a tablet or mobile, you might not see the chat stream. Uh, so you might have to go to the Ustream app and search Spanners Ready. But if you're on a desktop, you'll be able to have a page with the window with all our lovely faces and then a chat box underneath. Come join us. It's a lot of fun. And Neil? Okay, so in tennis, you have four big tournaments a year,
5: and everyone knows what they are. Even if you don't watch tennis, you know Wooden, French Open, Australia, and you know the American tournament as well. In Formula One, the calendar's expanded. You've got 21 races this year, and the historic races that people know about, Monaco, Spa, Silverstone, they're now worth exactly the same as these other events. They're losing some of that prestige. One thing I want the new owners to do is to try and bring that back. I'm not saying we need to have a reverse grid race at these circuits, but they need to stand out. We need to have premier Formula One events. So if someone doesn't watch Formula, someone doesn't watch Formula One, at least they know that there are these big events that are going to guarantee great races. We spoke about Monaco in the past,
3: but is Monaco thrilling every year? It's not. We could have double points, Neil. I don't know why they didn't think of it sooner. In fact, some tracks could pay more for the privilege of having double points and being like at certain positions on the calendar, like the end or the beginning or something. Genius. I
2: I love you, Spanner. That's a great rebuttal
4: right there. That was brilliant.
3: Burn. He's got a point. He's got a point. Why not have like a a Masters, Masters type tracks? Spa would be one. Monaco can do one. what, What I want is I think they
5: pick four races. And on Saturday you scrap qualifying and you have a reverse grid race to determine the grid for the Sunday race. It just turns it into a bit. It just turns it into more of an event. It makes it stand out. It's not just the same as a China or a Bahrain or Abu Dhabi. You need those great tracks and the great circuits to really appeal to everyone.
4: Well, we, it's we already have those great tracks. I mean, like how how is that making it better? I'm curious because
5: because it's it's just the same as watching another race and. The chance, you know, it may as well just be a procession. You can get really excited about watching a race at Silverstone or a race at Monaco or a race at Spa, but if the average fan watches it, they're probably going to find it quite boring because everyone will qualify in pace order, they will race in pace order, they'll run the same tyre strategies because the regulations tell them to. I just think the format maybe needs changing for a few events a year just to make certain events stick out.
2: Right. So you're proposing essentially then a crown jewel kind of a system where you pick a number of races that have special circumstances that bring more pressure, therefore more excitement to the viewing.
5: Exactly. As long as it's not double points, I'm happy.
2: Yes. Well, we're not really sure what they're going to be up to, but they did do an interesting interview with Chase Carey and Bernie Eccleston, who really looked like he wanted to be somewhere else, I must say. And in it, he said, they don't want to Americanize the sport, but they do see America as being a long-term opportunity, and Asia as well. What do you make of that?
4: Well, I've seen other um, print interviews with uh, Mr. Kerry, um, and, and I'm really impressed. One thing that he emphasized is that America, the Americas, he said, and Asia are Opportunities, but he he sees Formula One as being Europe based, and he wants to build on that, which I thought was really interesting because what we've seen is that um, Bernie has been focused on going to the far corners of the earth, whereas uh, we we've lost France, we almost lost Italy. Um, we are in the process of losing Germany, apparently, and so I thought it was great that this American comes over and says, okay, Americas and uh, Asia are opportunities, but those are long-term opportunities, and he wants to focus on the on the basics, which indicates that it's going to be a very different method of working with the tracks to get Grand prix going again.
2: Well, and I wanted to to bring that up earlier, so I'm going to jump in ahead of you there, Anil, because I'm in charge and you're not, (laughs) and say that one of the things we have heard absolutely is that the escalator that has been running circuit fees, that the whole way circuit fees are negotiated and the way race promotion is happening, it might be in for a very, very big change which could bring a lot of these circuits back because they'll be able to afford to host the race again. and I think that's hugely important. And we may even see tickets that we can afford more than once a decade or so. All right, Neil.
5: I was literally going to say that word for word. As far as I'm concerned, there is no reason why every circuit can't be as packed with fans as Silverstone and Silverstone is expensive. If you cut the fees down, You'll get fans in. It looks so much better on television. The last thing I want to see is empty grandstands when a driver gets out of the car to celebrate a win.
2: Right. Summers?
5: Yeah, just briefly on something that we
0: all talked about the other day in our group, and that's what I felt that F1 should maybe follow for a number of years, and that's sort of creating some intercontinental championships so in other words, you have a European series, uh, an Asian series and a, an American series. And then that way you can promote those series together. You travel to that destination, you go around that destination and it gives the, each of those hosting Grand Prix the opportunity to work with the other Grand Prix in that region to, to, to develop that situation. And also, obviously, you end up with a situation where you have separate driver championships and um, titles, etc., as well as the main world championship.
3: Right, spanners. The only way, I, it's interesting what you're saying, but I think the only way that you can make that distinction, um, is to then increase the grid size and have local, local teams, say local, but local to that continent teams entering in there. Otherwise, you've got really nothing to, uh, to, it seems a bit nominal to say, ah, this is leg one, this is leg two, leg three. Maybe thinking out loud, the local teams wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't manage it, but, You know, maybe that's that's something that would be tagged onto the end of it.
2: Well, local teams using manufacturers resources could be a way to go. But one thing we've already seen Bob Fernley call for is a look at a new look, a fresh look at the listed parts with a nod to Haas as maybe being a way forward for the sport in the future. Uh, What do you think about that, Summers?
0: Well, obviously, we all know that Haas did things in a very different way to everybody else that centred the sport in the past. You know, it's a car that was almost built for them as such, um, and you know that th- they had less resources in that respect because of the way they had the relationship with both Delara and Ferrari, and some excellent expertise building this year's car. I think it's going to be interesting what we see from them next year when they're out there on their own. Uh, because obviously they've they've had to forsake this season as such to be able to build next year's car. Um, But yeah, I I do think that there's an opportunity for for the listed parts section to be expanded and to allow for these newer teams to be given the opportunity to to enter the
5: sport. Neil? I've also heard, and I, I don't know how much truth kind of goes into this, but one of the things they would be looking at is to make teams, shareholders within the sport. and I don't know if this is common in American series, um, but I actually think that's a really good idea because if you look at one of the problems with the strategy group, you only got your, if you sit on that board, you are only going to vote for something that favours your team. For example, if you're Red Bull, you want as much error on the cars as possible, regardless of how it affects a spectacle. However, if you have a stake in the sport, you can't really do that because you need to think about what's best for this, for best for the sport um and again i don't know how this works with other sports series in america nfl baseball etc um but i think that's a really good idea Would yeah
4: you... i i i agree and i i'm a little bit excited actually from what i've seen out of uh, liberty media and i and i think it's something that's important to keep in mind is that liberty media also owns um the atlanta braves a major league baseball team here in the states and Um, The sports leagues here in the States, they use something um, It's a little bit different than what we see, for instance, in um, the Premier League, where uh, in the Premier League, if you don't perform well enough, you can be dropped out of that league. I understand your spot can be taken by somebody else who's performing well. And so I I think this is an important distinction, particularly given that the audience of this podcast is... International, And so not all people are familiar w- with that, whether they're British or from other parts of the world. But in the United States, um, there is a franchise system where if you want to join that league as an owner, your two options are to buy an existing franchise and that franchise or existing team. And that team has value because. Um, It's going to be supported in part by the other teams and that there's a revenue sharing plan so that if you buy a team that's a small market team from a smaller city, doesn't have as big a revenue base, for instance, um, the big market teams such as Boston and New York, etc., they'll end up sharing some of the the larger revenue that they have with the smaller teams and the reason that all the team owners agreed on that and established this system is that it creates uh some parity or equity amongst all the teams right you know so that a small market team has a chance to if they're smart with the way they handle their players and do and all the sports stuff they still have a reasonable chance to make it into the playoffs, make it to the World Series or whatever. And if you if you look at, number one, the philosophy that Liberty Media states, they are interested in long-term growth. And then number two, they are interested in the partners, the teams, the fans, etc. And if you look at one of the complaints that a lot of fans have is that this year it's uh, on any given race weekend it's going to be a mercedes driver that's going to win the race that's known and the only excitement is which one of the two guys is going to win in the past you know it's been four years straight it was red bull every weekend they were the team to beat so we see the potential here if they're playing long term and then the for the pan- fans benefit that there could be a big change where small market teams there'll be a more equal distribution of prize money.
2: Well, you've gone and done it. You said the F word, franchise. And if there's a couple of (laughs) distinct lessons from American sports, number one is franchise, as you say, value. Number two, we here in America have absolutely learned that the more and the longer the playoffs, the more people watch. And you can expect to see that idea Influencing the rules and regulations as we go forward. And that speaks very much to our geographical series. It lets us have four championships instead of one. How would people not watch that? Or, three, yeah, four. Um, but most importantly, what we have coming up, and to those of you who have turned into tech time, for those of you who feel tech time has turned into business time, it has. What we have coming up now and already I think will be influenced by this change of ownership is the 2020 engine regulation. So we're going to take about five minutes, I think, and have a little chat about what we hope and what might come out of the new set of engine regulations. And we'll start with Summers because he knows more than all the rest of us.
0: Just a little bit more. Not not much more. You guys are... There was lots of things discussed for this current engine, and it was far too technical. Everybody complains about these power units being extremely technical right now. But I think that F1 needs to be at the pinnacle of this sort of technology, and the next set of regulations could push things even further. But you also have to remember that, obviously, next year we're getting a lot more downforce, and everybody talks about having more power to go with it. And so I think there's, there needs to be looked at in the 2020 regulations is where do we want to go in kind of comparison to downforce, power and weight? Because those are the three differentiators between what we, we need to do to be able to improve performance and, and get the field closer together. So we, we really need to have a look at, you know, working with those three items and understanding what relationship they have.
2: OK, you're, hang you're, on.
4: Before we go mentioning... to Ken... You're not mentioning cost. I was gonna. uh, Would that not be included?
0: Well, yeah, cost is always an implication. But obviously, when you've got big manufacturers on board, they're bearing the biggest cost in terms of R and D. You know, the likes of Mercedes, Ferrari, and Renault, and obviously Honda, who entered a a year afterwards, have put millions into this R and D before it even hit the track. You know, they've spent. Mercedes somewhere in the region of 300 million pounds in R&D, at least. Um, And then there's still the ongoing spend after that.
2: You know what else American teams are really good at? Cost caps. All right. So, Anil, name three things that you want to see from the 2020 engine regulations.
5: Whatever the cars and whatever the engines look like in 2020, they must be lighter, much lighter. They are far too bulky and they are not visually appealing to watch at the moment. Um, So I hope the cars and the engines become much lighter. I also want to see them being louder. I want to hear them. Um, So that's two. And three... um, I don't want any of this... Um, Well, no, I'd like to see four-wheel drive. But when I see a a wet car come out of a corner, it is like a bullet. Uh, I want to see that with a Formula One car. I want to be on the edge of my seat and my
2: jaw-dropping. Vortex. Three things.
4: Yeah, so... uh... Okay, I I love Anil, and I definitely agree with um, his first point. Cars need to be lighter and significantly lighter. They're too fat right now. And then um, number two, I think what's critical is that these cars are less susceptible to aero wash, and that means essentially that the cars can follow much closer together through fast turns, and that'll enable passing, which is the reason why we have... DRS and tires that only last for a third of the race or so that would eliminate the need for that and we would have more wheel to wheel without and drivers would be able to push at nine tenths 10 tenths all race long. If we uh, could get rid of the aero wash problem. And then I think number three, and um, I hope I don't upset my good friend, uh, Mr. Summers, but I think we need to lose all those silly little winglets that are all over uh, the cars these days. I'm, it always concerns me. And frankly, I don't see the little winglets as being relevant to uh, the road cars that, and pushing technology forward.
2: All right. Done. Summers? Your three things.
0: Okay, well, Ken's obviously not talking about just um, the engine side of things because he's gone into aero as well. But if it's down to e- engines, I'm going to say I-, I would like to see more electrification. So I'd like to see more power coming from the electric side of things. I think that it's, you know, we, we've gone from 400 kilojoules uh, back in 2009, which is when KERS came along. We're now at four megajoules um, that can be dispensed via the MG um, by the MG UK uh, and I think there's potential for more we see that in world endurance cars etc and I do think there is still more potential um, I, I think that we need to have a decent look at the energy matrix so obviously the fuel that is being used um, that has an impact on the weight of the car as well because we're also talking about the amount of fuel that's being carried by the car um, and, and obviously re- refueling is, is something that could crop up back with the regulations in that respect
2: okay are you wanting a rebuttal there anil well
5: i just wanted to kind of follow up on all those points um yeah the, the horsepower to weight ratio of the cars needs to be better um in qualifying at the moment the cars are actually great the batteries are fully charged there's no fuel saving but it's, it's just in race trim where they're, they're charging the batteries they're saving fuel the you know the power to grip ratio the power uh, the weight to power ratio, it's, it's doesn't look good. Uh, so whatever they come up with, I just want the cars to have much more horsepower in race trim.
2: Right. Well, I'll, I'll give you my three. Number one, they need to open up the ERs all the way. Number two, they need to lighten the storage significantly because that's where a lot of your weight and bad handling comes from. And number three, and most importantly for me, uh, in addition to cost, which should have been capped from the beginning, number 3 what i would love to see is opening up the number of cylinders and displacement the teams use which goes to i think summer's energy matrix comment very much i would love to see fours and threes and fives and sixes all out there and i would love to see lower cost solution going back to the kers instead of the ers for teams that can't afford the expensive electrics and the lightweight you're all right about that okay so how do we describe the Bernie era in one sentence? My suggestion, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. So let's go carding with Spanners!
3: Obviously, didn't want to hear my wish list for next year. That's fine. Don't worry about me. I want to get rid of. I'm sorry. Spanish. I thought.
2: I thought. I thought you didn't pay attention to this part of the show where we talked I, about technical things.
3: Did you have a I wish want, list? I want them oh, to be able to poor use spanners. As Tell mu- us what is it. I don't mind them driving for efficiency, but I want them to be able to use as much fuel as they want. That's what I want. Uh, fine. We've got too many things. If you want to do t- tire saving, that's fine do that. Have that as the thing that mixes things up. You don't also need them to then also be fuel saving. It's just it's too many things to manage. And the other thing is, I I haven't been one of these people that's hated DRS. I think it did its job. It solved the problem at the time. It's evolved to the point now where it doesn't quite work and they've lost their way with it. It's too rigid. It's not flexible enough. Let's get rid of it. Let's see how the drivers do for a season getting past when they're not I tell you what was brought this on. Playing the 2016 F1 game. And I don't know if the game mechanics have changed, but you really do just wait for the DRS zone to get past. There's absolutely no point pulling off that, that turn, that, that pass three corners before the DRS zone, knowing that the guy is going to get that drag reduction. You just think, well, I'll just, I'll hang off, stick as close as I can and get past. So let, let's experiment again. Great. Thanks for the DRS experiment. Let's have an experiment without it. Um, so, uh, karting. You guys know I've been trying to organize a karting event uh, and there is some progress on that. But Alex Van Geen, Gene, Jean Alex Van Gene uh of Corporate Chauffeurs who's jumped on here to talk about the 24 hours event at Teesside. 24 hours in a cart, Unbelievable. I was destroyed after a series of uh, of 10 minute races. Uh, invited me down to mm, Rogue Racing in Aylesbury and I'll give them a shout out cuz they looked after us um, all night. Brand new track layout and uh we, we went out there and entered their GT competition. It was Alex Van Jean and also Will Buxton also popped in. So it was nice to meet him. And he, I don't know if it was a showbiz nice guy thing, but he, does, he did say he was going to come back and join us, Matt.
2: Well, that's very exciting. We certainly enjoyed having him on last time. And it's nice to have his insight and knowledge as he has access to stuff that we can't always get to.
3: I know, but it, it does make us feel a bit inadequate, doesn't it?
2: Well, only those of us (laughs) who have to re-record the intro three times before we get it right. That doesn't happen every time. It just
3: happened when he was on. No, that's a lie. It it happens a lot. Um, But yeah, so so, um,
2: go on then. But I hear it wasn't all... What, what, what wasn't all hugs and kisses at the track there was it? There was contact there was lots and lots of
3: contact um, the, the main battles yes did become uh, between well, Alex, Alex is very very quick, uh, you could see once uh, it was a tight twisty track but once he got himself out into the lead he was pulling like half laps ahead of the rest of the pack and Will Buxton not that far off the pace behind him alarmingly quick the two of them so I put myself behind them in practice and I and, uh, they disappeared off into the distance, and I, I felt terrible until I saw them in their heats. And I went, "Oh wow, no, they're exceptionally fast." Okay, that's good. But Matt, I did. I won one race. I won a race out of the three heats. I, I won one of them. Now, yes. now I took a helmet cam and some vlogs, so it, it, the whole event will be will be put up. But I, I, I went from. Is, is
2: the audio just going to be you shrieking the whole time? Oh, what? Just like. flatter, <laughs>
1: flutter, flatter! <laughs>
3: <laughs> there was one. There was one a ninety degree turn, and Alex Alex was saying to me, "You do take that flat out, don't you?" I'm like, "Course, Of course I do." And then so the next heat, I'm like, "Well, I've definitely got to take this flat out." <laughs> so I was definitely lifting beforehand, so yeah. So I had that moment of, "Okay, I've got to trust him. I've got to trust him. This could be a massive stitch up, and the exit wall is very, very close." Uh, but no, yeah, but, but I did do that. Where was I getting to? Uh, yes, yeah, so I did win one race. Um, unfortunately, the webcam will show that the webcam the helmet cam will show that i t- got the lead under yellows um but the guy in second was very gracious he said oh i don't mind you were quicker anyway uh, and then the yellows turned to red whatever i just i flew past two of them before i noticed and it was only when i saw a car sideways on the track i went ah right okay that that it definitely was that red means stop red red means stop but you know without the engineers shouting in your ear <laughs> But I will post that bit of the video where, in the space of one lap, I overtake under yellows and fail to stop at reds.
2: Well, I, 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 I think your driver coach would be very proud of you for that, as you didn't get penalised for it, did you? No, no penalty. Well, they were Lindsay, very kind.
3: Perfectly OK. But I tell you what, I tell you what, go on, Ken. <clears throat>
4: Oh, I was just going to say, you make us all proud. Thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> no, that's all right. Um,
3: so, uh, but I was, I was, I was in a semi-final, and I felt, I felt absolutely robbed. By the way, road racing. Thanks for looking after us. But the hairpin exit barrier, no give whatsoever. I may as well have thrown my ribs at, cracked a rib off, and thrown it at it, and then slammed it back in the other side. It was that hard that barrier, and and you'll see the pained expression and the subsequent. Not worthy of a thirty-five-year-old dad hand gestures. I waved to the guy that stuck me into that barrier. I was absolutely robbed, and uh, they made an admin error and put me in the final. So I was all sat there, sat behind Will and Alex, ready to compete in the final, thinking, "That's it. That the good. They disqualified the guy that punted me." No, just a computer error. Got humiliatingly dragged out of the cart uh, to to watch the rest of the event. So thank you very much to Rogue Racing. Uh, Rogue Racing? Yes, Rogue Ra- Racing in Aylesbury. Um, that is one of the candidate venues uh, for our karting event, just talking to them at the moment and talking to another venue because we might do more than one event. Trying to get a really good deal for listeners and will involve Downforce Radio as well. So get as many of you as involved as possible. Have had a decent amount of response. So as soon as I can confirm a price and a date, and I must say value at Aylesbury Road Racing anyway, um, I will push that out. And, uh, Neil, you have to come. It's compulsory. And Summers, you have to travel as well. Unfortunately, we'll get Jake Sanson from Downforce Radio, some of the corporate, um, uh, corporate chauffeur, karting guys. It will be a good time. So watch this space. It is coming soon. Back to you, Matt. Thanks for the time.
2: Yep, no worries. And at this point, uh, those of our listeners who are going, wait, I thought this was tech time, <laughs> not high in the sky time. Well, we we do have a little bit of tech lined up for you. There was some things that have happened since uh, since Monza and, and Spa. And so the first thing that I wanted to talk about, because this was very interesting to me, was... The aero solutions versus the tires, because usually when you go to some place like Monza, you're you're running minimal downforce because the speeds are incredibly high. But that didn't always happen this time, did it, Summers?
0: No so both at Spa and Monza and I think to be honest Monza was a lesson learned by all of the lead teams from what they did in Spa is that their plans obviously to have their lower downforce setups but once they got to the track and started setting the cars up they realized that having those low downforce setups meant that the car was sliding around too much and obviously because the pressures had been increased um, and, and that obviously meant that They needed to load on a bit more downforce, especially for the tricky second sector at Spa to allow them to be able to lap in the the sort of lap times that they were anticipating and and keep the stint lengths correct. So we saw all of the lead teams realistically running with more downforce than they really desired, apart from Red Bull, who completely trimmed their car out, as usual, because of the deficit that they had to Renault with with the Renault power unit.
2: Right. Now, were they able to do that? Were they able to trim the car up because the chassis itself was developing enough force to compensate for the tires, or did they just have to live with the tires because the engine didn't have enough push to it? That was really my question when i when i when I was hearing about that
0: so obviously renault um the Renault power unit is still down on on power anyway. Um, so, you 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 know, they reckon that they're somewhere around about 50 horsepower down in terms of overall power, but they're still down in terms of ERS and fuel deployment and fuel efficiency. And that is extremely exposed at tracks like Spa and Monza, where you're at full throttle for long periods of time. So it really exposes their energy deficit to the other teams. So they have to make that difference up by running lower downforce configurations.
2: Okay. Now, uh, there was also something else interesting that showed up, and that was the Haas rear wing at Monza, and it looked so cool. I don't know if it made any difference to them, but it certainly looked so cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a development that they've had in plan since the start of the season. Um, It's what we termed as a double-waved rear wing because of the the shape of it. It's something that we've seen before down down the history of Formula One. Um, I've got a piece out on motorsport that went up tonight, um detailing some of the um past experiences that we've seen with that rear wing. Uh the last team to use it would have been uh Lotus back in twenty eleven, but it never actually ran. They had they wheeled it out for Montreal, didn't get the results they wanted and, and didn't run it in the race. But they did run it previously in twenty ten when there were Renault um, and they ran that for quite a few races up until the F duct became the, the generalized solution to reduce drag.
2: All right then. Well, well, thanks. Yeah, Ken.
4: Uh, just a quick interruption. A quick question for you, Summers. You know, in regards to Red Bull and how they were the only guys that that kept themselves trimmed out. Is part of that because of the nature of their chassis that their chassis in general generates a little bit more downforce than say other chassis? So they're able, they're sort of able to compensate by running trimmed out, or is it? Are they kind of equal in that regards? I mean, uh, at the end of the day
0: they they do have uh, the advantage of the uh, underbody downforce generation um where that they, they do generate a little bit more downforce from the the way that their chassis is set up um obviously we know that they run with a, an extremely raked car uh, much like mclaren as well um and, and that obviously does help them um downforce generated from the underfloor of the car also comes with the effect of creating less drag so you can play one off against the other but obviously the the other teams that wanted to load that downforce on don't generate as much downforce as you're saying from under the car so there there is a bit of a payoff there thank you
2: right um any word on Toro Rosso and their b-spec
0: yeah well that was an interesting one wasn't it They, they introduced a new uh configuration in Germany just before the summer break and um from what I understand, they really thought that the step, it would be a big step in performance. Something in the similar vein to what Force India got when they introduced their BC specification in Spain. Um, and unfortunately, it just hasn't delivered the kind of results that they were anticipating. So what they did in free practice one at Monza is they took all of the parts off of um, Carlos Science's car and went back to the original specification and did some back-to-back testing. Um, they did then put both cars back onto the B-spec for the rest of the Monza Grand Prix, but there's still not word as to which solution they're actually going to go for for the rest of the season. And I do think that there might be some of the results that they they have seen on the track compared to their correlation work in the wind tunnel might be down to the tyre behaviour and the, the increased pressures that we've seen from the other teams.
2: Okay. And, and again, uh, it, it, it's Monza we saw that Williams seemed to have had a little bit of a comeback. Is that solely down to their engine? Or, or have they actually made some progress with their generally not as good as everybody else aero?
0: Yeah, well, again, Williams were in a similar situation to Toro Rosso, where they bought a huge chunk of update to try and add downforce to their car throughout the season. In, Os- in Hungary, they took those parts off the car, similar vein to Toro Rosso, to understand what was going on and now they are running the the new spec parts again. But what they have discarded is the little winglet that sits above the engine cover. Um, And that little winglet is designed to try and disturb the airflow before it hits the rear wing. Both Williams and Ferrari run one. Um, They have for a couple of seasons. But it seems interesting that Williams have decided to discard that given that they've got a new rear wing design. And I think... I know it seems like a tiny element, but it might be something that's helping them in terms of understanding what's gone wrong with their aero.
2: Okay, and and of course I have one more. Well, it looks like for a lot of these teams that they're becoming very track specific where they do well. What do we think favors? What do we think the rest of the season favors for Cindy or Williams?
0: Um, you'd have to really say Force India, but it all really depends on the tires. If Pirelli decide to release some of the pressure situation then i think we might see williams come back towards the four i think that is a a key differentiator between the two teams it depends on what they're doing with the tires at any given time and each circuit has obviously got a, a different characteristic in terms of what it does with the tires and also the compound choices
2: right and do you think that williams is being helped right now this is a question from mg5904 from the chat room he's being helped right now by Honda's power shortage in terms of their standing.
0: Who's that? McLaren, sorry. Uh,
2: McLaren. Well, yeah. Uh, do you think that Williams position in the constructors is being helped by Honda's power shortage for McLaren?
0: Yeah, I possibly mean the, the power unit and, and the aero side of things have to, are intrinsically linked. You know, there's no getting around that factor. And it's why we see that Red Bull were exposed at Spa and Monza. Um, so, yeah, there is, there is still a deficit in terms of the Honda. It has made leaps and bounds compared to last year. I mean, look at the failures that they had week in, week out. They were always starting at the back of the grid. Um, and I think Honda are really onto to something. And next season, when the token system is scrapped, I think Honda will make some even bigger leaps because they've been running a tandem development program for the for their power unit
2: right okay so let's let's jump to the future last year mercedes at singapore was disastrous what do you know How, do they think they've sorted their issues or not
0: well they actually set up a separate working group to try and understand what happened last year because they were a bit baffled by the whole situation but what i think we have to remember is that the race previous to that was monza as it is this year and at monza we had the situation where the tire pressure's became an issue and i think the protocol situation that then unfolded in singapore kind of caught mercedes out and they operate better in certain conditions with certain compounds and i think they're always going to struggle at singapore it's just not their type of racetrack but i think this year you might find that their pace is better than what we saw last year for
2: definite so that brings us back to Ferrari. And we heard over the break that Ferrari had taken a broom and had swept clean. And we've learned a few things since then. We know they've hired some people with some specific knowledge, both from Red Bull and Mercedes. We know that certain heads of state have gradually been shown the door, including uh, Corrado Lanzone, who we mentioned earlier. We know Antonella Coletta uh, of uh, The GT staff, Corsa Cliente, and Enrico Cardilli of the 488 GTE program and David Sanchez are all now doing more stuff. The structure of the corporation is meant to be more horizontal. But what I found out that was interesting to me is that one of the reasons this has happened was that Marchiani got wind that there were solutions remarkably similar to ones run by Red Bull and Mercedes sat in drawers unused at Ferrari.
0: Yeah, but, we, well, I think we've had this discussion before on the show and we've mentioned it in in the group as well, but it's not a cookie-cutter solution. You can't take one part from one car and expect it to work on another. We've just talked about the way that Red Bull's raked car um, intrinsically helps them to set their car up for specific tracks, creating more downforce from the underfloor and allowing them to run less drag on the rear wing. You know, it's not something that you can just take from one
3: car and pop it on another. Uh, oh, he's darling! What's happened? Right? We lost well, summers. In well, the... I, th-
2: I think if I'm right, Ken, is he basically you know, saying that one go fast part from one yeah, car?
3: Didn't... Hang on a minute, Matt, because he can't tell that uh, he's cut out. So he's still here. Yeah, yeah he's so... still oh, there. Darling, in Bruno, I looked at the best parts of the cars. <laughs> should we should we just act as if uh mm-hmm. he didn't cut out tons then um he seems to be back though so why not carry on with what you were saying about 30 seconds ago summers Okay.
0: And so, stay it
2: in ten seconds, there you go. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. It
0: it it's basically not a cookie cutter solution. Every team has uh, different ways or philosophies of doing things, and you can't simply steal everybody else's ideas and make a fantastic race car. You have to build that into the philosophy of your car. You know, one front wing can't be fitted on another car and expect it to work. It, it just doesn't work that way, I'm afraid. And for Marchioni to say that, yes, all these designs have been put through the system. Well, yes, there may well have been. But that doesn't mean they've actually been produced, which costs money and taken to the track and evaluated at the circuit.
2: Right. Well, speaking of front wings, uh, we saw kind of a similar thing, didn't we, uh, Vortex, when McLaren took Red Bull's front wing and stuck it on their car and then went no faster at all.
4: Yeah, that's true. And I think I think uh, that lines up exactly with what Summers is trying to say, which is that in in many ways, the aerodynamic, when, when, and correct me if I'm wrong, Summers, when you say philosophy, in many ways, what we're talking about is where the air is first touched is at the very front of the car, that wing. And the way, and and when you look at a vehicle aerodynamically at these speeds, you're, anything in front is affecting everything behind and at the end of the day you want to have down force at the rear that um, equalizes to some degree what you have at the front um, and so just for example what we talked about earlier that little winglet that was uh, on top of the Williams car that affected the airflow to the rear wing they removed that. Just one little change um, made a made a significant uh, difference in the downforce and and drag. And so that's that's what we're talking about. It's a very complex uh, uh, thing that you really need to to be able to evaluate properly. Am I getting that right for you, Summers?
0: You, you're getting it bang on there, uh, Ken. Yes.
2: Right. Well, I, another interesting thing that came up, Anil. A- was that the teams of engineers and in the, in, in the actual manufacturers now are so big that a lot of the engineers are never working on anything but one very small part of the car. So a lot of your up and coming engineers are not necessarily getting that complete knowledge of the car that the people at the top of the sport right now have. And to the point where I even hear that some teams may be picking candidates and rotating them to groom them for these positions in the future of, of running the whole department.
5: Yeah, I mean, the fact that they're that big and um, younger engineers aren't able to kind of get that wider experience is quite worrying. Because at the moment, if you think about the top engineers that we hear about, we hear about Adrian Newey, James Allison, um, is it James Key at Tua Rosso? You know, it's the the same group. Um, You know, who are the younger ones coming through? And of course, the F1 regulations at the moment are so strict in terms of how often they can use a wind tunnel per week. Um, There was actually a great quote from Alejandro Agag, the former CEO. Months ago, at the event I attended with him, and he was saying that at Red Bull they've got so many engineers who want to work on so much, but they just they literally can't because the regulations don't allow for it. And even if the regulations did allow for it, the design of the cars are so identical; virtually every Formula One car looks the same. You know, we're not seeing these crazy differences, these really unique philosophies. They they all generally
3: look the same. They should hire less engineers. Feels like that would solve it.
2: Yeah, well, I think at the smaller teams, like at Manor, you you have that where the engineers have to wear more hats to get the job done. But you're also not competitive in the cutting edge there either. So it's an interesting problem Formula One's going to have to solve. But I'll tell you what really struck me most about Ferrari. And we've never heard of them having this problem before. It turns out that their simulator data was not correlating with real life at all. Go for I, your- for
5: one, am shocked.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
5: how many yeah. years have I had to hear that um, in the Alonso Ferrari years, every single thing that domenicali would say to the public about you know why Red Bull kept overtaking them mid-season it was always the same thing it was the simulator was not working
4: no. or it wasn't
5: good enough and it was no, no. the errors Arizona- that
4: it was the right. aero turn. I, uh, uh, if I may, I think you're thinking about that tunnel. They had a huge aero-tunnel problem, right? Are you I'm talking pretty about- sure it was both.
3: Yeah, I mean, I've oh, heard Vettel okay. whinging, uh, sort of sideways whinging, hinting that the simulator doesn't, it wasn't representative at certain tracks. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Anil. I've heard them whinging yeah. about that simulator.
4: I, s- I stand corrected. Thank you.
2: Well, yeah. it, they, it was definitely the wind tunnel, too, earlier, but this time around it's a simulator.
5: And, and, of, and of course, if you've got no in season testing and you can't test at your private track, the simulator is pretty important.
2: Indeed, they do a lot it turns out they do quite a lot of setup work. If only there was someone on our show who had been to an actual simulator and knew something <laughs> about it.
3: Is he allowed to talk about it yet though? Is he is he allowed to, you allowed to discuss only it? In only in
2: sound bites. Only in sound bites. Summers, you've actually gone and done this and you can shed a little light on why Ferrari were sucking so badly. Oops, can I say that out loud? Yeah.
0: Well, that, that's all to do with correlation. At the end of the day, Ferrari's problems are down to latency. They have a huge simulator. It's made by Moog, and it was in uh, collaboration with um, Delara. So it's it's a joint cooperation. And if you have have a chance to Google the images of that simulator, it's in a massive room, and it's on a hexapod. Now, a hexapod obviously moves a, a, a static table, which is where the driver sits it's a hexapod basically a hexapod system whereby the um chassis is moved on top of the hexapod now theirs is huge but if you see mercedes there's even bigger and the reason that theirs is bigger is that you have you have problems with a simulator in terms of latency um which is a problem obviously we suffer here with our scott chats yeah uh, <laughs> and basically what happens is is that the movements that you are trying to coordinate in the simulator don't quite represent what happens in real life because of the latency issues. So when you go bigger, you try to remove the latency, but what you actually do is create more latency. Now, Mercedes have got around that fact because they've got a slide underneath theirs as well. So the whole hexapod moves along the the ground as well to remove the latency. Whereas, sorry, Matt, yes.
2: So so basically, if I've understood this correctly, the each pair of arms of the hexapod are responsible for an axis of movement. But by putting it on a slide, Mercedes can still have big arms which move slowly, but not suffer the same latency that you're talking about.
0: That's right, yeah. So obviously, Ferrari's huge hexapod, which stands on a flat surface, has the latency issues because...
4: the
3: okay so i think we're gonna to have to yeah. call time on that matt because of summer's internet issues uh, t- time aside let's pity the poor uh listener who's trying to squeeze poor. this in on his monday morning commute poor. even though summers is still talking in the background which is summers shut up 30 foot up in the, <laughs> in the sky doesn't react as it should do very interesting summers do you mind if we move okay. on to the podium,
2: matt? <laughs> Uh, let's move on. But I want to say he wrote an excellent article about all of this with pictures and everything. And is that yes. up on your blog there, Summers?
3: Oh, God. Just just point people to his blog. So it's www.summersf1.co.uk. Yeah, Check him out it there. The is, inter- it's a day that I spend at Ansible. My- the internet connection at his website is fantastic that page will upload very very quickly okay matt we're all getting sleepy let's let's get out of here
2: we're all getting sleepy you're getting sleepy and by the way <laughs> your mime show is winning the podcast right now the the longer you, you get annoyed with us talking forever about everything the more animated you become in the small right hand corner
3: well i'm just going to press buttons then <laughs>
2: Let's <laughs> move on. I'm
3: gonna force this log to the All predictions right, it's and stuff. Time
2: for our Singapore. Guess what happens? So, Anil, guess what happens? What happens in Singapore? Who wins? What what goes? Daniel Ricciardo
5: will win. Verstappen will crash out and hit the wall, just like he did at Monaco.
2: Excellent, Vortex. What's your call?
4: Uh Mercedes one two, and there'll be uh, some exciting crashes with uh, perhaps. A racer whose initials are MV.
2: Ooh,
0: Summers. Well, I think we need to start calling him Crash Stappen from the comments that are coming about here. But, um, yeah, I think Red Bull are going to be more dominant in Singapore just because of their chassis. Um, I'll say Daniel Ricciardo for the win.
3: Spanners. You're bonkers. You're bonkers, and Neil always going on about the Red Bull resurgence. Always going on about they're definitely going to win this. Okay, week, okay. can I just say this is
5: bull. This is absolute <laughs> rubbish, right? I I said at the beginning of the year the Red Bull would win the there. championship. That's what you said. No, no, no. I, I said Monaco, <laughs> Hungary, and Singapore. I expect they'll be really competitive and okay. that they expected to win at least Monaco and Singapore. I totally They remember. should have won in Monaco.
3: I remember it differently. So from now on, we've got to get all these arguments on, on air, recorded and, and logged Let's for do prosperity. It. Okay. So, so, so my predictions is uh, Mercedes, uh, in the form of the 44 car will just about win. However, Red Bull to, to close the pack up and to swallow up Nico Rosberg, but that will kind of prove Neil right, which is painful. So yeah, there's my predictions.
2: Well, that's all very interesting. But I predict, due to uh, Double Mercedes horrible clutch start, a massive pile-up, and Carlos Sainz wins. Mostly wow. because he has my number 55. So there you go.
3: Interesting. Absolutely. Oh, uh, and Massa to disappoint massively on pace.
2: And Raikkonen
3: really can't, can't drive at
5: Singapore. I, I expect the same from him.
2: All right, then. All right, so where can we find you, O'Neill? You can now find me on Twitter at AnilP228. All right, Vortex, where should we look for you on the wild internets?
4: Uh, I'm also on Twitter at VortexModio.
2: Excellent. Summers, you have you more me. social media than that. Come
0: on. <laughs> I can fi- you can find me on Twitter, and I'm SummersF1, or obviously you can find me on motorsport.com or at the blog.
2: He doesn't need any Excellent. more followers excellent but i bet if he ran social media for formula e he'd follow you spanners where can we find you
3: well as nearly 17 other people have you can find me at spanners ready on twitter help a brother out let me overtake chris underscore Jerno stevens for goodness sake oh no come on surely surely i give more to the audience <laughs> than than that fool <laughs> uh, he's on next week uh you can go to www.spannersready.com. Obviously, we've got some F1 writers there. We've got blogs. We're starting to put some news out. Uh, we're really hoping to get massively into Formula E in a big way. I've got a pretty talented guy coming on board to, to run the Formula E side of things. Gives a grin, Anil. And, uh, also, uh, Dad Hub. Dad Hub has been on a summer holiday, obviously, but we are coming back with the same people in a very similar style of show so don't worry if you miss me rambling on inanely about my family it's it's coming back so it will be there on the internet
2: can't wait well you can find me at matt pt 55 matt trumpets on facebook and for goodness sakes go and buy my wife amanda weaver's novels for uninterrupted race time whenever you require it this is tech time see you soon
3: All right, all right. I know what you're going on about, Mime Show. And that also reminded Excellent. me that, that we forgot about the comment of the week. But there is one from Signor Trowell, who says, As interesting as the chat is, and it is, the Spanner's Mime Show in the bottom right is compelling. The more frustrated he is, the more animated he gets. I'm looking at the time. We've run an hour and 20 minutes. Fine, fine. You get it.
2: Comment of the week.
3: Well, you know. And it it definitely isn't gotten by the person who keeps saying that Anil is a wise man. You can say it over and over again. It's still rubbish. I swear, he said Red Bull was going to win the title. I swear it.
2: I, I like the question about whether or not Moog played futuristic electronic music. I thought that was a particularly good one. I'm sorry we missed it.